0: 2005 when I was new to Williamsburg, just a young buck. I spent a lot of time at a bar on Bedford and South first by the name of Savalas. That was the social center of many of our lives back then and I got the opportunity to become friends with one of its owners, Dave Rosen. Dave was a Duke graduate like myself but He was someone who came at all the fun that we were having from a very specific business angle. He really knew his stuff. He went on to open the Woods, the Breakers, the Windjammer, and Ginny's. He got involved in Community Board 1. He was the co founder of the Brooklyn Allied Bars and Restaurants, great acronym BABAR, a Williamsburg and Greenpoint based organization that focuses on building relationships between the hospitality industry and the local community. He really worked hard to ensure that those folks who ran or worked at bars and restaurants in Williamsburg and Greenpoint. We're doing right by their neighbors. We're doing right by the law. We're doing right by the politicians. Just doing it right. And so he has been on the leading edge of the response to COVID-19 and all that means for nightlife and fun here in the city. Uh, We talk a little bit about the old days and then we get into the nitty gritty this conversation, I really encourage you to listen to what he has to say. He's a really, really, really smart guy. He knows this stuff. He's hyper-passionate about it. Um, and reach out to me uh, if you think you want to be a part of his efforts, if you think you can help. Um, that's what we're trying to do here in part. Not only tell stories, but build community. And it was a pleasure, as these conversations always are, to catch up to hear how he was doing and I really hope that it, something will come from it um, Music as always by Matthias De Wild. and thank you for listening
1: Hello? Dave Yo what's up dude?
0: Just sitting in my podcast closet, making phone calls, talking to interesting people. It's a, cl-
1: it's a closet?
0: It's a closet.
1: Do you, is it, we've got like foam in it?
0: What does it have in here? It's got a bunch of coats. It's got suits. It's got, uh, the computer is sitting on a shoe rack. I'm on a piano bench mm-hmm. leaning against the wall. Mm-hmm. It's cozy.
1: Yeah, that sounds very professional. I am not in the closet. I'm gonna, should I go in one?
0: I mean, the audio is always better in, in a closet if there's good reception.
1: Yeah, I think I'll take my chances.
0: <laughs> where are you right now?
1: I'm in the basement of my home where I have a, I guess, make sh- Well, it's always been my office, so I don't want to say make sure. Sh- make it sh- seem like it's a temporary thing. Um, no, it's my office. And um, yeah, it's adjacent to my kid's playroom without a door which is sometimes frustrating.
0: But you can keep an yeah. eye on them, make sure they don't get into any mischief.
1: No, yeah, no, yeah. no, I'd rather just be left alone. I trust they can get into mischief in that room.
0: So, what is your, so, so what's your work life been looking like since, uh, since middle of March?
1: Well, I am a partner. In um, five uh, nightlife businesses, a variety of bars, and larger kind of dancey party places. And uh, they've obviously been closed now since, I guess, it's March uh, 16th. Uh, So I haven't really had much work to do with respect to those businesses since, like, um, you know, maybe the first week is a little busy coordinating some paperwork and, like, security issues. But since then, uh, on the specific business front, um, I, you know, I had, have applied for a few loans, uh, slash government aid, um, which I'll get to a bit later in our discussion, uh, which, you know, aside from being a little frustrating, um, wasn't that time consuming. Um, so, you know, with respect to the businesses, I'm pretty, uh, idle, um, as are the businesses, obviously. And um, I, on a personal level, have been spending some time, uh, I have to spend some time each day with my youngest daughter uh, doing some uh, kindergarten work. Uh, she can't really develop alone loan uh, to homeschool herself. The other two who are in third and fifth grade are fine. Uh, and then we've been working on projects around the house. I-
0: Dave's audio cut out a little bit right here, so we got that up and running now. Oh, that's crystal clear. Oh, good. Earlier, it was very touch and go.
2: Well, I mean, I can understand that.
0: That's what happens when you podcast out of a basement. Sometimes the reception is just not what you would hope it to be.
2: I think it was on your end. (laughs) Perhaps. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's
0: always a possibility. Pod, podcasts out of closets can be a uh, touch and go as well.
2: Yeah. So, um, I forget where we left off. I think I was talking about homeschooling my youngest daughter and oh yeah. So I said, I, you know, I got a hot tub. Very nice. Unflatable one from Amazon and I'm building like a surround cedar, uh, deck to, um, make it look nice in my backyard.
0: That's the way to do it.
2: Yeah. And then I, I've learned how to bake
0: muffins. Oh really, what's your, uh, what muffin specialty is yours?
2: Well, I don't think I have a specialty yet. I've only done it three times. Mm. Uh, I did like a banana nut, a brown butter, and then a uh, like an apple crumb, which was the best one, and the third one.
0: I'd sign up for an apple crumb muffin.
2: Yeah, and then I failed at an apple pie. And-
0: How, how badly did you I- fail?
2: like really, well, I you know I overbaked it because I followed this really weird recipe and like it looked like it was not done. So you know, got too ambitious.
0: You know what though, it's that and ambition that's driven build... you all
2: these years, right? <laughs> I'm gonna build a, uh, like a brick oven wood fired pizza thing for my backyard.
0: How long will that take? How, I'm sorry. How how long will that take to build a? A stone well, okay. or brick oven.
2: I don't. Okay, so I don't know. I've never done anything like that. I've done some research online. What I think the process I'm going to take is, I I've ordered a big inflatable, like exercise ball, and then I'm going to paper mache half the ball to get a dome mold, and then I will build it out of clay over that mold. Is there a YouTube tutorial or is
0: this your own design? No, there there
2: are some YouTube tutorials, but based on what I've seen so far, I am, I'm modifying it with the, the step of the paper mache to make the dome.
0: What's your paper mache background?
2: What will the paper mache be made No, of?
0: no, like like how much like have you reached your Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours of paper machine before this point? Or are you still working no, toward no, that? No, I have,
2: I have like zero except I mean, maybe like in Brooklyn in like the late seventies when I was going to like private preschool or some something. Like I I don't re- recall that. So it's been a while. Oh. But that would be the only phase of my life, like like two years after Star Wars came out, kinda of, period in time um that's a big gap between you should really do a separate podcast or something on 1977 by the way because it's like a seminal year in history but I don't want to get into that right now so um (laughs) but yeah so you know I, I haven't undertaken the um the uh that effort yet but I think you know paper mache is a pretty easy skill uh, if you're going to be, I guess, crude uh, with the look of the outcome. So I'm not, like, trying to make a paper mache sculpture. I just need to make a dome that gets covered in clay, and you'll never see the paper mache
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. I just I, – <laughs> I hope that you end up loving paper mache and, like, you just – like a silver lining of all of this is that you become like a master paper macheer, and you become world renowned. That will not. That will not happen. I may become like a master pizza maker. Oh, at, there we go.
2: And uh, thankfully, I know some. I'm not going to name anybody, like, but pretty preeminent pizza people from New York City. Cool. To reach out to them, and um, or or a baker, maybe you know, but uh, I uh, definitely not paper mache.
0: A uh, podcaster can dream, but yeah, no, I... <laughs> look, if you set up an outdoor pizza oven in one of your establishments and an end result of all of this was that on a lovely Saturday afternoon, I could stop by and find you with your chef's hat and freshly baked stone oven pizzas. That would be something to, to smile about. I mean, that's a
2: great idea. But again, you You know, you could have a whole other podcast or research series on navigating the bureaucracy of uh, New York City permitting. Uh, In particular, having any sort of um, wood fired or uh, solid fuel, they call it, uh, cooking surface, whether that's open flame or closed, uh, is is really hard.
0: And I know a little bit about uh, these Permitting situations because years ago I came to a community board meeting to speak on behalf of the woods prior to its. Oh, (laughs) forgot. I think it was already opened, uh, but I was there to say that the backyard should have um, be more expansive, and and so I think I was one of uh, two people to speak for the woods, and there were maybe twenty two people to speak. in in disfavor of the expansion right
2: yeah so that was in 2010 when we applied for our backyard liquor license and we were not approved but i held off on getting a denial technically uh and then we um, applied a little later and it got approved and i also joined that community board
0: very nice I went on I to throw. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry. I, should, I was going to say I went on to throw many um, pro alcohol parties in that backyard over the years, and so I was a direct uh, beneficiary of your um, perseverance and getting that permitting. Did you get late at points. any of those parties? I mean, I, I don't think I actually recall. Uh, it was so long ago, and. Uh, I, 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 all I remember is drinking in excess.
2: I gotta be honest. I've recalled
0: every time I've gotten laid. So
2: I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or I should say every individual. And so, um, I'm a little, I guess I'm, I'm proud of you in that room. I,
0: yeah, the, the, the drinking around that time was, um, I think could probably be called problematic. I don't think it was even approaching Pro- problematic. I think it was exactly problematic, and so uh, it's it's been nice to grow out of that phase and be uh, a little bit more um, sober, just in general. Good, good. So I want to hear about the story with you oh, and the community board. Yeah. So I was on the
2: community board, and um, which is a great experience. I was there for two years, but I I had to step down because I moved to New Jersey and legally can't be on the community board. Um, and, uh, you know, by the way, the community boards get, like, a really bad rap for being, like, anti-licker license because, like, I mean, we, we would, like, approve, like, you know, 90-plus percent of applications. And, uh, I literally, I disagreed with, like, a colleague's position, like, one or two times. So, out of hundreds of applications. So, there was this one circumstance where this gentleman was um, applying for a liquor license right around the woods, and he came out to, you know, advocate for his uh, his license. Um, he didn't know who I was or that I was a proprietor of the woods. And while he um, was going through his application, some women from the neighborhood came out to, I guess, uh, speak uh, against his application because they were unhappy with the woods um Interesting. And they basically got up and said like we don't need this other bar because we have this you know horrible place named the woods which is already in the neighborhood blah 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 um you know meanwhile i met with those women and went through all their issues and you know we became good neighbors and and worked everything out and, and you know and, and and you know as an aside most of the issues were sort of unrelated to my establishment but were particularly related to you know concentrations of new people moving around the neighborhood
0: and like taxi noise which so, was so intense matter. in that period because all the new developments having nothing to do with your establishment but just to do with real estate development
2: right right yeah yeah and I can't control you know the taxis so this um gentleman who was presenting on behalf of his liquor license um uh and again the women didn't know that i was the owner of the woods and i was planning on you know speaking with them inside later um you know he got up and he's basically like went off on the woods for like you know like two minutes like we're not like the woods like i can't believe you know we would never be like that place blah 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 and then my Colleague on the community board just stares at me and starts laughing. And I was like, Excuse me, by the way, I own the woods. And he's like, Well, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you used to own Savalas. Like,
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like where this story is going.
2: Places are like. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm like, You think insulting me? Well, I mean, I, I guess there's a compliment in that, right? If you think about it. But like, do you think that's the way to to work this out?
0: So and funny. I mean, Savalas. Is- I think rightly goes down as one of the legendary establishments of peak mid aughts, Williams. Yeah, I you
2: know, I I think so. I mean, it's weird for me to to you know view my own thing in that regard. Um, I um, I I think that you know, out of places that no longer exist, um, you know, from that time frame, like Black Betty uh Savalas um and then there before Savalas there were Stinger and uh I don't know if you've ever been there and then you know kind of going way back uh there was Koki's. there was um Kokies you know, was the most legendary of them all well obviously in a, in a different way of course yeah and and you know I think Rockstar Bar deserves a shout out too of course oh uh, um so, yeah, I think we're there. And then, you know, if like, for instance, if Union Pool had closed, you know, eight years ago, then by all means, it would be at the, at the top of that mountain. But it's still, you know, alive you, and along. Well, you know, uh, you know, pandemic aside. Union, so Union
0: um, Pool would survive a nuclear holocaust.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, I I mean, I think. um. Union Pool is the only, um, I think, institution from that era um, that's clearly. Uh, I'm being interviewed by CK on the, on the podcast. So, from that time frame.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't really think of anything else. Is, I mean, when did Bembe open? Because Bembe is still around, I believe.
2: Yeah, I never went to Bembe. I
0: used to go um, dancing there. Yeah, really good Latin
2: music. I, that like I think, is is open right around Savalas, and I think it, it's still open. Yeah, so it, I it, it certainly should should you know be on that um that you know
0: that list I, I don't know of what you OG places you know yeah you know, um, Enids just closed recently. Um, oh
2: yeah, that's you know another good one.
0: The the neighborhoods had some really special spots. The cultivated special times. Um, but my finest memories from those early years uh, were all of Savalis. S- no, well, if, yeah. Savalis was peak, 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 especially uh, the night before the marathon and the morning of the marathon. Well, those were fun times. We, we did that right. <laughs> um,
2: I think that um, at its peak, when Cervales was going and like on, like on a Friday or Saturday night, like it, it, it couldn't be beat.
1: The I mean,
0: financially,
2: but like, you know, it, it, like when it was on, it was on.
0: And, and when it was off, you know, like it was, it was still okay. It was a cool um, low key spot midweek. You know, I mean, I used to just go there and grab a beer with Paul and Jesse like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday when it, there wasn't a scene. It just was like, this is a great spot to chill and have a beer before going to bed.
2: Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, being chill in, in that sense uh, doesn't pay the bills. So.
0: No, it certainly does not. Yeah. But there were not that many chill Friday and Saturdays there. And that crowd was just so eclectic. And people drawn from such a variety of backgrounds and interests and all they wanted to do was come together and dance and get after it and I just felt on top of the world there
2: no i know i mean i you know i think that's really just more a reflection of the neighborhood um you know at that time and and there was still a feeling of it like being a neighborhood where everyone knew each other um uh, but you know i guess everyone who was like sort of in that uh i don't know late mid to Early twenties to mid to early thirties, like kind of nightlife scene, um, you know, pre, uh, you know, pre additional waves of, of um, gentrification, if you want to call it that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I think the this- ball more like a, a wave two type of spot, um, you know, with like again Black Betty and like. Uh, Union Pool being like Wave Ones or Phase Ones, um, and then Savalas is like a two, and then, um, you know, was probably like around the three. And I haven't really thought through these phases for a while, but we're probably on like, like seven or even like post phase at this point. Like yeah, it doesn't, I you know, there aren't going to be any more.
0: I think it's probably. I think that at a certain point that, the the. the the game changed from bars to restaurants. And so then the game changers became like your Lillias and your Missies, and up in Greenpoint, like your Osho Mokos. And so the, the shift went away from, hey, you know, here are some really killer bars. Um, you know, I think that the last one going in would probably be Freehold and just the sort of difference that that, that brought because in the same sort of way that, um, Savalis and the woods, you know, people would be coming from Manhattan. People would be coming from, you know, different parts in the tri-state area to go party there on a Friday night. Like, they were really magnets for socializing outside of, you know, maybe just a bike ride away. Right, 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 yeah. And... You know one of the ways that I always map it is in my understanding it was 2005 when the ordinances the you know the the zoning laws changed uh, to knock down a bunch of the um, industrial zoned buildings and start building the residential high-rises and so um, not very many of them got built prior to the 20 20- 2008 collapse they were kind of all mid and that slowed things down considerably but once the economy was up and running again you know 2010 that's where you know just a nitrous boost into old buildings being knocked down and shiny new ones going up
2: yeah I think that's right and uh, we'll probably have a slowdown now because of this whole pandemic oh, uh, I agree. but there's still a lot there's still a lot that will be coming online. Um, you know, still a lot more for domino to, to occur. And then two trees who owns domino there, you know, bought the Con Ed site. So that's a whole other big project. Probably be delayed a little bit. There's still the um our former governor client number nine, Elliot Spitzer, you know, has a big building on the waterfront that's coming online. It's and,
0: uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know the address, but um and uh Yeah, I've often, you know, originally, like, Williamsburg had this sort of north-south divide, right? Like, so there was a north side and the south side of Williamsburg, the dividing point being, let's say, metropolitan or for the most part. And um, this sense of the north side moving quicker than the south side and, you know, the development sort of moving southwards from North 14th down the Bedford, you know, corridor. um, And you know, the further south you got for a certain period of time, like sort of the more grungy and, and, you know, better in my opinion, right? And um, now I think it's switched to like an uh, east-west thing, right? So like as, you know, the waterfront being the dividing uh, or the beginning point, and then as you further get away from that and move eastward, um, you know, that's how I view the neighborhood now.
0: And then you have the mega clubs in the Bushwick, you know, North Bushwick, South Queens, you know, with your Brooklyn Mirages, your Elsewhere's, your House of Loves would have, you know, those in their House own the right... House Yes, yeah. House of Yes. Uh, those in their own right were, you know, game changers in terms of um, how people thought about, um, you know, socializing and going out in the neighborhood, because I think that, you know, it's tough to map, but they had to have had an influence on where people were looking to go dance.
2: Oh, well, no doubt that that applies to House of Yes, right? Um, Because they, you know, were were before the other two and um, they, uh, you know, obviously, you know, have their own cultural phenomenon going on. By the way, James and I went, James, my business partner and cousin, went dancing at House of Yes and like, one night on um in 2017 um because i was i you know was invited by the owners to hang out and um we just couldn't believe it we're like how did they do this like this is so unbelievable
0: um it is it is a wonderfully weird place like insane stuff happens there and i've been a part of some of it and a witness to others
2: yeah i i That's the only place that I don't know about that much, but like where I was just like, you know, just just tripping with with respect. Um, But, you know, we we. In 2013, with some partners, uh, we purchased the building um, on Scott Avenue right around the corner from elsewhere is before the House of Yes had their space before elsewhere had their space before. Um, the Mirage was there, right. And we bought, you know, a 25,000 square foot footprint and we're going to build a massive club there, um, that fell through for a variety of reasons, um, which I'm happy about. Cause like, I, you know, uh, insofar as I, you know, I don't, I think those massive spaces are, are very hard business model to uh, succeed at, um. So and then, particularly given where we are right now with this pandemic, uh, we would have been like, let's say, three years into our operation or something like that, and yeah. and then you know totally just destroyed right now with you know massive amounts of of investment capital like on on the line. So I mean that didn't happen, but um, yeah, we knew that that spot that area was 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 prime. Like we just drove there and we're like we're like this is it. It's gonna happen, you
0: know. So. The sorts of shows that they can have out there, and, and I've only been to the Knockdown Center once, but that Knockdown Center experience was was something that I thought only happened like in Berlin, and I just was like, this the the quality of that space, um, and just the size. Because anytime that you live in New York, you're just not used to that that big of a footprint. There's so much square footage and, you know, the crowds are kind of hit or miss. Um, it's not always my scene, but it's just such an outlier given uh, given how many people you could fit in there.
2: Yeah, I only went there once for uh, an NYPD benefit. So <laughs> um, I'm sure that was a different experience than yours. Um, but just thinking about... There was, I don't know if you ever went to a
0: Rubelard party. I think I, I went to one or two. I went like to the 10 year anniversary of Rubelard. I don't again, I had a little bit too much to drink and don't remember it vividly.
2: Yeah, but those parties like back in like you know, uh, I don't know, like 2000, like that stuff was 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 awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean Rubelard, you know, just was such such a DIY funky feel. Uh, right. And you know, it was always in these buildings on multiple floors, multiple rooms, multiple vibes. You know, it really was something that was put together by a community. And all these other places we're talking about are corporate places.
2: I mean, no, I mean, well, I you know, elsewhere and houses yes aren't.
0: You don't think so? I mean,
2: I you I guess you I mean I I know, than, I know the yeah. I know the people who started them. You know, like I I know the elsewhere guys since before there was elsewhere since they took over glasslands and they're in their you know mid to late 20s and um i sat down with them when they when they told me you know they were found the spot for elsewhere so like i mean (laughs) trust me they're just you know they're organized and they know what they're doing that's fair but but they're they're not they're not Corporate by any means.
0: I use corporate incorrectly there. I, my idea of Rubelot was that it it really was so much more decentralized and oh it, yeah sure it, right you know it wasn't a single space and it you know wasn't zoned like you know I go to elsewhere I just like this is a very professionally run venue like you go to I mean you know House of Yes is funky but it still has a lot of professionalism. Um, and Rubelab.
2: Yeah, I'm fine. Sure. Well, organization and professionalism and let's call it risk management, right? Risk, yeah. Uh, Cause there's a lot in the line, like, yeah,
0: absolutely. And you know, I look at my age, I like going to parties that have a sense of professionalism. Um, because, <laughs> because, you know, I, it, it just makes it easier at 37 years old. I mean, I think probably for the last five, six, seven years, um, in, you know, my, my appetite for uh, you know those more uh, do-it-yourself sorts of events ha- has waned. Um, you know, I think the the last really fun parties that I went to that were kind of cobbled together like that was with like Lucas Waters and um, the Mike It Weird Crew. They threw like just killer pop-up parties oh. like once or twice a year, like at the Sugar Hill yeah. Disco, and those were awesome. But
2: I never, yeah, I never went to anything like that. Um, I think I don't remember that, but yeah, I I know what you
0: mean. It's fun, man. So what's gonna what's what's gonna happen? Well, this is something that you've dedicated last twenty years to. What's gonna happen?
2: Well, okay. So if we just step back, right? I don't know if you know this, you know, about my efforts, you know, over the past almost decade. Like I've been, you know, pretty heavily involved in in. I guess you want to call it nightlife industry advocacy. Yeah. Um, So in about uh, 2012, we formed a group called Brooklyn Allied Bars and Restaurants um, that basically serviced the industry in Williamsburg, Bushwick, um, and and Greenpoint. And I I founded that with uh, some friends from the neighborhood, uh, including the owner of Teddy's at the time. Uh, She has since sold that property. And then... Um, my friend, who was the owner of Nita Nita, and she uh, was basically kicked out of her space um, by the landlord. Um, and then Alyssa Abeta, who was the, you know, basically uh, uh, founder of Union Pool and predominantly the the soul of that institution, uh, who passed away in nineteen, um, sorry, passed away in two thousand sixteen from from pancreatic cancer. Um, so we started and. We were basically a loose knit collective of local business owners who were dedicated towards, uh, I guess, preserving the. Goodwill of our industry and and uh, shining a light on that within the neighborhood. Um, we are just an informal. Um, loose knit group, uh, no staff, no. Uh, budget, you know, uh, just a. Collection of members over a Google group where people can communicate. So over the past, whatever, eight, nine years, um, there's probably about 300 establishments participating on the Babar um, Google group and, um, you know, that's what basically got me appointed to the community board and. I also formed the Brooklyn Nightlife and um, Restaurant Coalition with uh, Borough President Eric Adams. love in, Eric uh, Adams, sharpest two, two thousand... man in,
0: in New York City.
2: Uh, yeah, in uh, 2015. He's also, um, he's an amazing listener, uh, by the way. I never met someone who listens that way. Um, and then, you know, I was appointed to the New York City Nightlife Advisory Board in uh, 2018. So there was a bill uh that uh created the office of nightlife as well as the uh nightlife advisory board uh that was introduced by uh former council member rafael espinal he also uh, introduced the bill to uh uh end the uh, cabaret law
0: um
2: yeah so it's funny the 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 nightlife advisory uh the bill that created the office and the the, uh, advisory board was, was signed on the stage of uh, at the house of yes which was which was fun I didn't know
0: that, that's so cool
2: yeah I have, the, I have a pen because I got one of the pens the mayor used to sign the bill
0: that's very cool
2: yeah. yeah I was up on stage with him and later people were complaining about the nightlife advisory board and then there was a picture of me with the mayor and like some group who didn't like nightlife you know photoshopped the picture and were like look at Dave Rosen with this powerful lobbying you know connections on like with Mayor de Blasio or something like that Um, so, you know, I've been involved in a lot of this work, you know, a long time, right? At various levels of advocacy, um, for, for the the industry. Um, I, um, right now with respect to this whole, you know, pandemic that we're facing, uh, I was very optimistic about two weeks ago, um, or so, because I, I don't think I fully grasp how long we we're going to have to be shut down for. Um, and now I am flipped the other way entirely, and I'm very pessimistic. Yeah. Um, I do not think that the public at large really comprehends exactly how long a nightlife establishment, and now I'm, I'm starting to use the term social gathering um, place is going to have to be shut down.
0: Mm.
2: Um, there is a narrative about, and putting all the politics aside and like dumb decision-making that's occurring in various states, right? There's a narrative about a phased reopening. And, and that's well and good. But fundamentally, there is no way, in my mind, aside from a sit-down dining establishment, to phase in the opening of a social gathering space like a bar a club, a music venue, an event space, uh, and so on. And, you know, maybe even in in the art galleries, right? Um, Because there's no way to effectively social distance or physically distance people in those spaces, which if you look at my reading of the guidelines and some reading of the tea leaves of statements from the governor of California and the governor of New York, that those physical distancing requirements will need to be in place for a while. Right and um, to that extent, right, like businesses like ours and everything we've just been talking about will not be able to uh, operate and or take place until the unforeseeable future. Um, and I don't want this narrative of a phased reopening to keep continuing with respect to to our, you know, niche of the, the economy, because it doesn't work for us. Uh, it kind of creates these strange, false hopes and expectations and, and doesn't uh, let people truly understand how, how dire the situation is. Um, so I have been working on, uh, for a little while, um, you know, two or three weeks, starting to put together the counter narrative about how long we're going to be closed and also why that's a good thing. Like we shouldn't pretend or even try to phase into reopening these spaces, right? It's not going to work. It's just dumb, right? Like, and it's dangerous uh, insofar as, you know, continuing the spread. It's dangerous for our workers. And then, you know what, it costs money and it's confusing and it it takes a lot of time, right? So for me to like re-engineer my whole business have like some reduced capacity or you know how i phase in separation of groups and all that stuff like and and reduce my my workforce like it's just a mess and it's not going to work and it's a waste of time so you know with with that in mind we're looking at an extended shutdown of the nightlife or social gathering sector And, and i'm talking only in new york like you know it's probably true in other big states but you know i'm not really focused on that for an extended period of time. So you know, I want that narrative to be out there. And then um, the other I think counter narrative that's really important is there's been a tremendous amount, obviously, of federal aid that is being delivered through the CARES Act, three hundred plus billion dollars uh, earmarked for what's called the paycheck protection program. Uh, which ran out in like three weeks. And I think Congress literally today is probably going to add another $300 billion to that. So you're looking at like somewhere like around $650 billion in loans slash grants that are available for small businesses as part of this program. The problem though is that while it's being heralded as a plan to rescue small businesses, it is in fact a plan to uh keep people employed and on payroll which by the way is a great thing right i'm not suggesting that we don't need that um but it does not do much in itself to preserve the business beyond keeping the staff all together um and ready to work when things reopen so um and that is because 75 percent of the of the funds have to go to Hey, sorry. Sorry, my son was talking. Have to go to um, payroll expenses. So if you get a $100,000 loan, right, you have to spend $75,000 on payroll. And that might work for a business in another city that's not hit as hard as ours, right? Or um, it might work um, for a different type of business, uh, like an ad agency or something, right? But it does not work for a nightlife business um, in New York City that's going to be shut. And by the way, so that money has to be spent by um, June June 30th, right? Um, that does not work for a nightlife business in New York City that's not going to open by June 30th. And that has already laid off all of our employees, right, th- two or three weeks before uh, this package arrived. Um, And it doesn't provide enough money in the additional, you know, 25 percent that's available for other expenses like rent and utilities for businesses in New York, uh, because the percentage of our, you know, uh, bottom line that goes to rent is much higher uh, than that of other states. So does that all follow so far?
0: It it follows 100 percent. I mean, essentially nothing has been set up um, through these government uh, stimulus and care packages. To help nightlife, it, it just—it's not feasible the way the laws in law. right, right. So, right, right. So, and then in
2: particular, nightlife in New York City, right. So, if you look at it, right, New York City is the hardest hit uh, city in the world, yep, by COVID, right, and that's not a surprise, by the way, right. Nope. Like, just you know, so um, and nightlife is the hardest hit industry in the hardest hit city in the world. And the relief packages don't work for us. Now, I wouldn't expect when they're designing these relief packages to be thinking at that, if you want to call it a micro level, you know, like, you know, I think there's ramifications, like, well beyond the city and our industry kind of globally to to like, you know, like, hospitality failing in New York City. But, you know, I, I wouldn't expect like, Mitch McConnell and, and and the Treasury Secretary just be thinking about us when um, figuring things out. And that's fine, right? Um, but the other thing about the, the, the... So, you know, so it is flawed to say that this is a, a small business rescue package, right? Because it's really an employee rescue package. Um, again, that's a great thing, right? People need money. Um, but the other way of looking at it is this really uh, unemployment insurance funneled through a business, right? Yes. Um, and that is for a political reason right because the president wants to lower unemployment numbers um you know so again all that aside i'm not trying to say the program's not great for our country right and it's amazing that that congress got it done so quickly but um new york city nightlife still needs a ton of help so um you know What is essentially needed is a situation of relief um, or I should say a a relief package uh, that will essentially allow us to hibernate and preserve our spaces until this is all over. And in my mind uh, that needs to take place uh, in the form of some sort of rent subsidy for you know probably about a year and that will look like. uh, you know, probably about a year, or you know, some other sort of mandate by the state, right? That would, you know, say, you know, you uh, rent is is postponed, and so are mortgages, uh, and then like that would sort of force the uh, bailout like up to bigger lenders and up through uh, the Federal Reserve system. You know what I mean? So like, if if landlords can't collect their rent in New York City and they don't have to pay their mortgages, banks are going to be left holding. You know that whatever number is on their balance sheets and probably have to go seek um some sort of uh, assistance uh to recover that money in, my daughter's i'm talking the
0: phone. <laughs> so this is a natural part of uh all workspaces work, oh, now. Oh, right, I, was, right. I was on a work holiday when a huge dog jumped onto my client's lap and you, you just you That's just funny. smile and it just it's just it's just part of part of part of the way the things are going. No, I mean right. every everything that you're saying follows and it's it's h- how you know these c- coming laws are structured in order to figure out who who right. And I, are. I just
2: want to put some numbers around that by the way. So I've done some preliminary analysis getting some figures from a variety of places. So I'm estimating that rent for all liquor license establishments and that includes restaurants in New York City for one year is around four to five billion dollars right? So that's the amount of money we're talking about. We're not talking about a hundred billion. That four to five billion dollars right is less than one percent of the entire right now 660 billion dollar paycheck protection program. And by the way, there's gonna be more money put towards that program, right? Yep. Uh, by the way, the banks on the five percent fee on administering the program, right, on free money from the government, they're going to make upwards of thirty billion.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a payday right? for sure.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, even the treasury secretary admitted it. And so, like I, you know, five billion dollars in the grand scheme of all the, these numbers, which are you know, and in, in, when you've thrown all the other packages, are in the trillions. It's right, going to end up like, around
0: eight to ten trillion dollars. Right, it's from just like nothing. I've seen.
2: Right, it, it's just next to nothing. And by the way, there's already out of the existing Paycheck Protection Program, right? Probably close to two billion dollars that's eligible for businesses uh, in that category in New York City. But we would just need to amend the program to allow that two billion dollars to move towards rent. So then we're only talking about like another three billion dollars. You know, like at the high end of what's needed for this. So you know, I don't, I don't think, given the circumstances, that that's a terrible, terrible ask. Um, you know, I, I, and I, you know, it's hard to figure out who, who to speak to and who to ask for and how to get that done. Um, well,
0: I mean, it's going to come from, if if it's a federal ask, it's going to come from you know Schumer, Gillibrand, or, you know.
2: I talked to Chuck Schumer two weeks ago.
0: And what did he have to say about it?
2: Well, he—he, he, I mean, it was very nice of him to call me, which is amazing. And uh, um, we only talked for you know ninety seconds, and you know, I wasn't—that's—I wasn't, wasn't expecting anything. Um, he assured me, um, you know, he got it, and you know, I've been in contact with his office multiple times since, um, express along with other you know hospitality and, and nightlife um, advocacy groups and lawyers uh, expressing you know, basically everything that I've just outlined to you and, um, they're receptive. They obviously have been focusing on, uh, the past few weeks of negotiate re- of negotiating over re-upping that existing paycheck protection program. Um, so, uh, and I wouldn't have expected like after talking to me, that they would go back to the drawing board in the middle of the negotiation. Right. And, and be like, Oh, Dave said, you know, um, so, but for future rounds, um, Something is going to have to be done. And, uh, you know, I think it's crucial that people really start understanding just how dire the situation is going to be in New York City for these types of spaces unless some sort of relief is um, provided. And the potential consequences of that with respect to hundreds of thousands of jobs Let's not forget about the immigrant uh, workforce, uh, all the you know families, um, as well as on the real estate market, potential mortgage defaults. And then um, when I say real estate market, I mean like commercial real estate market, yep. obviously. But then also like, what does it mean uh, for the future and the soul of our city, right? Like retails was already dead or on its way out for the most part. So like if you lose like most of nightlife and hospitality in New York City or a large portion of it, you know, like what is left? Like going to work and and like getting takeout or delivery. I I, I don't in going to the park. I mean like you know
0: what is left in in this city? So um, one way I've looked at this because. I think that everything that you have laid out and the dire state of affairs for New York City's beating heart right. was discussed on Monday's New York Times Daily Podcast.
2: And just, uh, Well, I read the article, maybe.
0: I think that everybody who listened to that uh, went into a funk. Everybody who loves New York who listened to that just said, like New New York may never be the same. And if it is the same, it may be many years. And so you are speaking in a very detailed way um, about what the particular problem is from uh, a money logistical standpoint and some solutions, which is very helpful. Um, right. And then there's like, I don't think it's that much money, right? <laughs> but someone's like, we got to save
2: New York City. Right. We just need $5 billion. Like we, you know, seems like we should figure that out.
0: The question. I mean, I know is, that's
2: simplistic, but
0: no, no, I mean, it, it's, it's not simplistic. I mean, it, it, it's essentially who you have being your advocate because it can't just be someone. It has to be, has to be a particular person that you're talking about who is trying to push this through. And so, it's it's whether it's your it's either schumer or gillibrand in the senate or it's um one of your uh you know like maloney um jerry nadler um uh uh, uh, um, hakeem jeffries uh, out in brooklyn um you know yeah
2: i um i reached out to the congressman jeffries through a friend and i haven't talked yet i went off on carolyn maloney um, in a town hall phone call, uh, right when the, uh, PPP was, was passed. Um, but you, uh, cause I read, you, you know, I read the provisions of... What
0: you need her to be an advocate. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. You, you need her to be an advocate.
2: Oh, no, no, I know was, well, she ended up, I, I wasn't, it wasn't with respect. I went off on the PPP, I should say, and I went off on her optimism. Uh, and of course I was right. <laughs> and at the end of the phone call, she's like, okay, we got I got to get back to the drawing board and you need to focus on rent. And obviously they didn't think about, you know, restaurants when they, when they drafted this. So that's great. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But,
0: and, and then uh, one thing that I haven't heard discussed, but it, it's intuitive to me is that mm-hmm. oftentimes the people with the power are the people with the most money uh, they have in many instances bought apartments uh, in New York City. In no, I know that. right, $30 right. or 40 so. or $50 million. And they may have a lot of things uh, on the forefront of their mind. Uh, the ecosystem of what keeps New York um, a place where people buy apartments for north of $30 million might not be on the forefront of their mind. And so one thing that's going to be incumbent upon the hospitality industry is try to figure out who the big players are in the, uh, commercial. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in, in that's in, you know, I'm, I've got my wheels turning right now because, you know, there are, there are folks who, who right now, um, are in the middle of building really incredible, um, <laughs> and expensive, uh, residential towers, you know, whether it's, uh, over on the Williamsburg waterfront, if it's in Midtown, and they will not be able to sell those apartments if there's not a lifestyle of New York City that's of any worth, and so... Um, you know, somebody who still does have some juice in this city and in government, I imagine, is Spitzer. If he is developing, like, it was news to me that he's developing that Con Ed site uh, over on the... No, website. no, he's
2: not developing a Con Ed site. The, it's further south, Two Trees, who owns the, the, the domino site developing a Con Ed site. Ah,
0: uh, but, you know, you know, and so it, it's trying to figure out through our various networks, you know, through these sorts of conversations, who... Who can you and your um, your coalition uh, get on the phone from Two Trees? You know who has a connection no. I already
2: spoke. I already. My, my, I have a friend there, right? Because like, and you know, but and I spoke to them, and and you know, he he. I mean, Two Trees is pretty progressive. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're a very good organization. So, you know, my my, my friend there understood. I think it's the um, the real thing uh, lobbying folks. Uh, I don't know how that world works at all. I think that our interests are online in, in this. Um, you know, ultimately like if, uh, if a lot of tenants start defaulting and, um, you know, they're going to be the ones holding the bag. Um, uh, anyone who thinks that uh, if we go out of business, they're going to fill us with something else, uh, is a fool. Yep. Right. And, and, and you know, this isn't just like a one-year thing or like a three-month uh, vacancy, right? Like we're talking multiple years. Um, uh, you know, in terms of the impact, you know, on, on the real estate market.
0: And so, in the same way that you over, you know, a
2: my daughter if- just tried told me to, to quiet, be quiet.
0: <laughs> uh, she, she she loves her passion, but <laughs> but the thing is, Dave, is that you have a track record of building coalitions. Like, this is something that you know how to do. You have done it before and you'll do it again. And so it's about taking the, the work that you've done in building this hospitality and nightlife um, coalition and finding a joint coalition with real estate and thinking of them as partners and working in tandem. Because you just will accomplish more if you work alongside them and figure out what their needs and desires are, and then how yours complement their needs and desires, and how you can work together. Because, you know, it's one of those things where there's just this so much more. You know, if you're looking for four billion, they're looking for four hundred billion, and, and so because of their imprint and impact, uh, people will listen to them more. But if you can no, make know. it evidently clear to them how aligned your interests are, and how the part of the ecosystem that they need to ensure uh, survives um is is your four billion dollar fiefdom uh, i think that that sort of relationship building is is what you're so good at you're so good at it and you know just making those phone calls knocking on those l- metaphorical doors not not literal doors and figuring out who it is like like using your two trees contacts to say hey we need to put together a coalition here right 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 because um, you can build the network you, you how many I mean, you've built the networks before you know how to do no this. no i i understand yeah well, um, i have faith in you i think you're i think you're going to lead us out of this
2: oh yeah <laughs> i mean well i only after i i finish my um my brick oven pizza <laughs> <laughs> My, you know, contraption, you know, and and learn how to, um, uh, uh, how to paper mache. I, and
0: I don't want to leave our listeners on that, uh, not the paper mache note, but the, hey, you know, we need to afford a billionaire or or else it's dire. Is there anything about nightlife in New York that if we do get through this, when we get through this, um, it will be better off? Do you see any, any sort of transformations or law changes or policy changes that could uh help with the vibrancy of uh well, what I, I part of this culture.
2: I, I don't necessarily see any legal or, or what what not changes. I think that a depressed real estate market, right, uh to some degree uh provides opportunity, right? Not that I would choose that, right? But like there's more opportunity to um find affordable spaces. And I think that's going to be inevitable. Right. Um, and I think that, um, there will be a better appreciation for the vibrancy of the city. Right. And to that extent, um, I think that people will be more willing to support our industry and, uh, give it a little slack. Right. So going back to what we're talking about earlier, you know, maybe that's a neighbor realizing that I'm not the one honking the horn on the cab. Right. And not calling three one one about that and not causing a stir because they recognize that, you know, I'm a business owner who contributes to the vibrancy uh, of our wonderful city. And, um, you know, some rogue uh, Uber cab driver who wants to honk his horn, you know, needs to be held accountable for his, his own you know, actions, right? So that level of slack and courtesy, uh, is tremendous, right? Um, you know, just fundamentally, but, but beyond that, right, insofar as that a lot of New York City enforcement is complaint-based, right? Uh, the less of that occurs, um, the more breathing room we will have, um, and that, that would ultimately lead to, um, creativity uh, and, uh, and vibrancy. So yeah I, I think there is a lot of potential right and and to some degree despite the dire warning that I'm giving, like um, I know that a lot of people will be able to hold on to their spaces even if some huge relief package doesn't arrive because the landlords won't have much of a other choice. Right, the landlord's best outcome is for the business to make it out viable and continue to pay rent when this is all over not have a business fail and have an empty space that they won't be able to fill so there's some hope it's just you know we got a plan for doing something and plan for um and try to reduce the casualties
0: well i know you're putting in the work uh, for yeah. ensuring this plan comes to a kind of fruition. And I look forward to... Yeah, and to... I, I just
2: made a website, um, which is, uh, well, it should be up by the time you put this up. It's called <laughs> savenynightlife.com. Awesome.
0: I'll link to it and the I I Pretty unbelievable.
2: I got that URL for $11. And, <laughs> and uh, that outlines everything uh, in much more detail than uh, I've presented today.
0: Well, I'm definitely gonna share uh, our conversation far and wide and uh, let's you and I uh, plan on catching up in a couple of weeks to see how things are progressing and what more needs to be done.
2: Okay, dude, uh, and, I appreciate it.
0: No, thank you so much. And just what a pleasure to spend an hour with an old friend uh, catching up and talking. Yeah, about I know, girls. I
2: know. And, and what, one more thing, I saw your, on your Instagram, because that's what led me to this whole thing from Jesse's Instagram. I saw the picture of your dad's game, and um, uh, you have nothing on that
0: guy. <laughs> uh, it's true. He <laughs> what a is, He is an OG. And oh, my God. Living his best life at 70 years old, just oh. slaying powder. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> well, take care. Uh, okay. Send me pics of the pizza uh, when it's fresh out of the oven. And I look forward yeah. to the next time I get to taste one of your apple crumble muffins.
2: Yeah. Okay, dude. Okay. <laughs> All right. well, I'll talk to you later. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.